Hello everyone, today the Student Economist is continuing our podcast. The podcast will discuss the weekly economic news globally. Each week we'll have a different student guest who will discuss the, with the news with the hosts, who are Arish Lal and myself, Avirafrodi. If you'd like to join us as a guest, please fill out the form on our website. But for now, let me introduce you, you, you to our guest today, who is Peter Shaw. It's a pleasure to have you on today. How are you? I'm great. Thanks, Abby. It's, it's, it, let's get started. Um, well, it's a big week coming up. Um, there's rumours that here we're going to go into lockdown, but this is being overshadowed with the news that's coming from across the pond. The election that's on Tuesday. So with days to go, are the polls swinging towards, a, the, the polls are swinging towards a Biden victory, but could we see another shock result, especially with uh, the polls tightening in one of the swing states, Florida. Uh, but Texas is also being considered a swing state this time round. So it's a very interesting election. What do you guys think? Yeah, so I think last time we obviously saw a bit of a change right at the end. And I just wanted to draw attention to the idea that I don't think that will happen again. So the, as thinkers and political kind of thinkers such as Eric Lonergan have claimed, um, Trump has appealed in the past to angry anti-system voters of the American electorate. But crucially, over the four years in which Trump's been president, we can actually see a nation which has become even more divided. Um, for example, with social divides and racial, racial inequalities, excessive partisanship and major environmental disagreements. Um, it actually seems that a lot of there is a greater element of a divide um, between voters of, on different sides. Um, so in that sense, it really does start to seem that um, different ideas of voters and different interests of voters have been set over time. Um, and it seems that they perhaps aren't capable of swaying suddenly in a different direction, even if a major event here happens in the last minute of the election. Um, and I also wanted to raise the idea of the idea of the moral bankruptcy of the Trump administration, uh, as many anti-Trump Republicans have, have claimed. Um, and actually how this has allowed a sort of anti-Trump sector of the Republican Party to grow here uh, as we get closer to election day. So um, with Trump's victory in 2016, he it wasn't really due to him doing anything special, it was more that Mrs. Clinton was unable to actually win in many expected areas of the nation. But this time, Mr. Biden has won a broad coalition of support, not only um, among expected voters, but also, as I've said, um, from anti-Trump Republicans who feel that um, Trump's fundamentals, rather than his policies, um, have let him down and let the Republican Party down. So with this kind of a culture shift in the Republican Party and the move towards Mr. Biden's centrism, um, it seems that with the broad coalition Biden's been able to create um, sort of the, a, a change, a sudden change now uh, is, is not going to really be achievable. Um, and also this time, I think, sorry if I'm going on a bit here, but politi politics obviously comes into account when people vote. But I think this time more than ever, um, with the major kind of, um, Black Lives Matter protests we've seen this year, but also with Mr. Trump's environmental um, policies and his kind of 
suppression of climate change, for example, it, it, oh, his idea that climate change doesn't really exist, sort of a moral objection to the Trump administration seems more likely to actually vote him out this time. So I think with politics and morality coming together more than ever, um, people's sort of voting intentions, I think, are unswayable um, as the election appears. So to answer the question, finally, uh, I don't think a sudden change can really occur. So I really do feel that we do need to trust the polls this time and that we will see a Mr Biden victory. Famous last words, of course, um, we should trust the polls. But I, I definitely agree with uh, Arish. I think people, it's hard to talk about this without being haunted by the spectre of 2016 when Trump sort of won against all the odds it seemed. But what we fail to realise is that the polls in 2016 were actually very close. People didn't think Trump could win because they didn't think Trump was even possibly a presidential candidate. You know, they couldn't believe he, as a character, would, would win the presidency. It wasn't really, if you looked at the polls, he wasn't that far behind. Whereas today, in 2020, there are about eight points in between them. You know, in 2016, it was extremely close. It was only about three points. And it's a colossal difference. Now, if we were talking back in January, I think it would have been very close, but the pandemic has hit Trump's base, you know, elderly voters, people who are really concerned about the economy, which is, you know, a large part of his rhetoric, at least, incredibly hard. That's done a lot of damage to his image. You know, the focus of his re-election campaign was going to be, look, the economy's doing really well, vote me in for another four years. But he can't even point to that anymore. He can't even point to that. So it's going to be a really difficult, difficult you know, battle for him. I think it's possible, but I think it's far more likely that Biden will win. I think a good um, sign will be which way Florida goes, because Florida has become perhaps the most important swing state in recent years. And if Trump doesn't win it, then he's really he's out of the race already. Um, one of my main concerns, though, is that we won't know on the day um, who the winner is. You know, with the um, uptake in postal voting, mail-in ballots, as they call them, it's going to take longer to count all the ballots. And so we might not know for um, several weeks after. And there might be a great deal of controversy and, you know, politicization of the uh, electoral process uh, as Trump tries to discredit um, a lot of those votes. Um, but as I said, I think Biden will win. Um, what's really not um, as you know, sure is which way the Senate will go. Because currently the Republicans have a 53 to 47 seat majority. But 35 of those seats are coming up for re-election at the same time as the presidential election right now. And that could go either way. And if Biden doesn't win the Senate, then he'll be president, sure, but he'll be governing with one hand tied behind his back, having to come to some sort of agreement cross party on everything he does. And so, you know, that could just stoke the partisanship even more. Um, but yeah, I think the most damning statistic um, for Trump is that if you group 
um, all of the states together that have a less than 5% margin in between them, in the polls, in between the two candidates, then Biden can afford to lose all those swing states and still win with 279 electoral college votes. So you know, for Trump to win, he actually has to win those swing states and some Democrat-leaning states as well. And it's just really not looking like that's going to happen. So, you know, especially in the Rust Belt states like Pennsylvania and Wisconsin, that Trump won last time, but have swung very significantly towards back towards the Democrats who they traditionally voted for in the past. Um, so again, famous last words of everyone in 2016, I, I don't think Trump will win. I don't think he will this time, um, but we'll just have to wait and see. I'd like to say really quickly, um, I agree with absolutely everything you said, Peter. And just, just to pick up again on the um, idea of uh, Mr. Biden having his hands tied behind his back if he's elected, um, and looking at the Supreme Court with Amy Coney Barrett's um, sort of appointment into it and replacing Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who seemed to be a hero of the progressive legal movement, and now bringing in someone who's rather deeply conservative, even if a um, Democratic president does come about here. I think the ideological balance in the Supreme Court could be swayed in the long run, too. So that could be another thing that I think um, holds back the Biden administration um, from its kind of centrist ideals. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Trump's had a disproportionate impact on the Supreme Court um, than most presidents will ever get to have. Um, I also want to pick up on the moral bankruptcy um, issue you talked about, because I think that's a really good way of putting it. It really has become a, a referendum on Trump rather than a general election. You know, it's so starkly divided. You know, Biden's been saying over and over again, it's all about the character of the nation. And uh, I think that's a really accurate way of putting it because it's come down so much to Trump as a person um, that that's almost what the whole election seems to be about. You know, Trump is so different from the Republican Party um, in the past that it really is, how do you feel about Trump? And also because Biden is such a gray, boring figure to so many people, um, it's all about what do you think about Trump? And I think that's a really interesting dynamic, probably not a very good one for um, the US and for democracy, but. I think it's, it'll be a fascinating uh, election. And I do think it will be incredibly stunning if Trump manages to win this. Yeah, I'd just like to pick up the point of mail-in ballots that uh, Peter pointed out. Traditionally, these have been Democrats who vote early and in previous elections. And I'd just like to uh, float the point that if Democrats are voting early, Trump is banking on people voting on the day. So that is Tuesday uh, or when it, Tuesday. So, but with the pandemic and cases are going up quite quickly, I think they recorded quite a lot of cases. People may be scared to actually go out and vote and potentially turnout could be a lot lower and it could bank on these mail-in votes. And in that case, I'm pretty certain that it will be a Biden, uh, Biden victory. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that as well. 
the scenario that worries a lot of uh, political analysts at the moment is that in a lot of states, the ballots cast in person are counted first and the ballots cast um, absentee, so the mail-in ballots, are count, counted second. And what that could mean is that it will look like Trump's winning at first if he does well. But over time, as the mail-in ballots are counted, Biden will pull ahead. And that seems good if you're a Biden supporter, but actually that's a kind of nightmarish scenario for the legitimacy of the election because Trump's been trying to undermine mail-in ballots for months. And so that'll give him the ideal opportunity to say, well, look, I won. They're just now rigging it with these mail-in ballots. And that's really scary. Um, and it'll certainly, there'll be courts involved uh, if that happens. And it will happen if it's close. Uh, but it may not be. We'll just have to see. So moving to our next question, some really insight, uh, insightful information coming from that. Um, so I'm moving a bit towards more economics. Uh, the US has been trying to uh, pass a stimulus package, but this is now definitely not happening. Talks broke down between the two party with Steve Mnuchin accusing Pelosi of pulling a political stunt. Um, who does this benefit more not than not passing of the stimulus package into the economy? Well, I think it'll certainly do a lot of damage to Trump because uh, he, he'll be seen as the figurehead that failed to take decisive action, that failed to um, you know, act in the pandemic. Uh, but at the same time, I think it'll only be a, a very marginal uh, positive for the Democrats. You know, the Democrats have had their own $2.2 trillion stimulus package. The Republicans have had their own $1.8 stimulus package. And it's just strongly, strongly down partisan lines. And so Democratic voters will blame the Republican-controlled presidency and Senate. Republican voters will blame the Democrat-controlled House of Representatives. And it, it might not have that much impact. And that's, that's one of the problems with the US um, shared powers presidential system is you have all these different institutions that are all responsible for the same, same thing. You know, they all need to agree to pass these bills. Uh, but no one knows who, knows who to blame. No one knows who to um, hold responsible when it breaks down because they're all blaming each other. So while I think it will hurt Trump and benefit the Democrats, I think because it's so just so partisanly divided, it will have a very small impact. Yeah, I just wanted to say that, you know, I definitely agree that it's a, a real negative for Donald Trump. And, and, and just picking up on the idea that one of his, I, I guess, key um, 2016 messages was his helping of small businesses, his helping of um, sort of lower class workers. And actually heading into um, 2020, he had arguably achieved in that. Uh, we've seen a 4.7% increase in um lower in the lowest courses um, incomes so actually a stimulus package at this kind of time an injection into the economy um, would have been I think really crucial for kind of just indicating that you know that the administration had a had a response it had had it had an ability to come back and to 
continue to maintain its promises to the people um, post uh, an unexpected event. And I think, uh, as you said, Visa, the fact that it's uh, not perhaps come about due to partisanship, I think just indicates further the, the flaws about American politics at the moment in the sense that if we're being held back by excessive partisanship from helping the people, is it essentially becoming just a competition? Is, 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 are we letting ideologies overcome what's generally for the common good? And I think that is, I think, an indication of the American democratic system really being, um, or having its legitimacy kind of stripped from it, uh, even at a time when such a package would be really required. Yeah, yeah. I think the Federal Reserve has played its part in slashing interest rates to almost zero. Um, and now Congress really, really needs to play its part and take advantage of that to you know, borrow money and inject it into the economy. Um, you know, that is the standard response to an economic crisis. You know, it's been consensus for a, a decades and decades since the Great Depression almost. And I really think it's a shame that they haven't got an agreement on this. And I, I am, if I was being particularly cynical, I would say there are, there are people who don't want there to be an agreement because it does benefit, you know, particular people, probably benefits the Democrats. Um, but we'll just have to hope that they're able to pass something as soon as possible. Um, that may well be next year, uh, but we'll see. Yeah, I'd like to, to say that Jerome Powell has actually, Jerome Powell and Trump haven't had the greatest relationship at the best of times. But this pandemic, uh, I reckon the Fed have stepped up more than, the, the, than what's been going on in Capitol Hill. Um, I'd also like to say that if you look at Europe, Europe are, have recently been passing lots of it's less so stimulus, it's more um, schemes like the job retention scheme, etc. Because we are going into lockdown at some point. And, and that the, the US has sort of adopted a half-hearted model. And this is because that it is essentially party politics between the, the Democrats and the Republicans. I reckon that the Republicans do want the stimulus package to go through because arguably it does benefit them a lot more than the Democrats. Because if Trump had, or the Republicans had passed uh, any sort of stimulus, I think you may have seen a tightening of the polls in some of the states. But this is not gonna happen. There's, it's, there's way too little time to get through. And essentially, I agree with Peter that we're probably gonna see something next year and uh, it's a shame because the American people need this. It's not that they're, they're basically using party politics. That the party politics is getting in the way of helping the people that need the need the stimulus the most. And the, okay, so the I think I'm pretty sure that the the initial initial jobless claims has been steadily declining for the past few weeks, but it's still seven hundred and fifty thousand people that are on that are uh, that are on this list. So there's still a lot of people who need this stimulus. Yeah, I just wanted to say that um, 
if a stimulus doesn't kind of work, then what what will? Because we we've been looking at a stimulus kind of looks at more of a monetary or a fiscal kind of um, intervention into the economy. But for years, I think the Trump administration and actually a lot of um, sort of free markets economies have been pushing for supply side reforms and. Um, Trump can be seen to have been a believer in, in, in supply-side policies as his deregulation, for example, although many financial kind of um, sort of things, financial institutions really haven't been deregulated that much. He has been a promoter of deregulation and, and that's very much linked to trying to kind of boost productivity and, 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 and boost efficiency levels, boost productive and technical efficiency levels within firms. So if that isn't that you know that that's more of a long-term objective if we can't get a stimulus working then actually it does seem to have a long-term implication for a desire to improve to, um, to look for supply side improvements so um, just in the interest of time i'll stop here but i i think it really could have major implications for the economy in the future which um i just wanted to pick up upon and show that this could be a particularly um sort of negative time for the american economy's economy's future so if we're going to move on to our final point i think the general consensus among all of us is that biden that uh, that biden is looking more likely to win according to the polls we never know what's going to happen on the day but we can't we uh but what do you see the u.s economy looking like under biden because we're moving from quite a right-wing government to a quite left socialist government. Trump calls him the radical left. I would disagree that he's radical. I would say he's, he's probably nowhere near as socialist as Bernie Sanders does, but he is quite socialist compared to what we've seen in the past four years. So what do you see the economy looking like under Biden? I think it would um, look quite good. I think, I don't think it's going to be transformed. The only, you're right that the only place um, where Biden's a radical is in Trump's mind. Um, but I think it would be, it will look quite good. I'd be hesitant to attribute um, too much to an individual, you know, person, to an individual president. Economic trends are uh, obviously a lot bigger than any one person. But I think Biden's plan to, you know, massively ramp up public spending uh, is an appropriate response to the pandemic. Um, and obviously, I like his proposal to invest two trillion in uh, new green technologies. I like his proposals to increase taxes on the very wealthy and, and corporate tax. Um, but I think overall, I think it would be quite, quite good. Um, I think, yeah, I, I, there's a lot of, there's a belief among a lot of people that Republican presidents have been better for the economy. But actually, if you look at average annual GDP growth, um, democratic presidents in the sort of post-war era have presided over much more prosperous times. You know, they've had an annual average annual GDP growth of 4.3%. Republican presidents have uh, only presided over an average annual GDP growth of 2.5%. And obviously, that's uh, there's a lot of luck involved in that. But I think 
the idea that um, Biden will be worse for the economy, which is which is a really popular talking point and believed by most Americans, just isn't really true. Um, and so I have quite a lot of faith in Biden uh, on the economy, and I think you know others should as well. I think the American popular American opinion that Trump's really true. The, the, the figures don't really align with that. Um, you know, the economy has continued along the same trends that it had been going on before. You know, the average annual GDP growth under Trump was 2.5% as it had been in the 20 years preceding him. Um, so I think Biden would be a welcome change. Yeah, I, I agree with agree that piece. I'm, I'm also an advocate for Bidenomics, I guess you could call it. Um, and and as we've kind of been mentioning, that Biden's often seen as someone who's a you know quite an old kind of a figure. But I think it's actually that kind of a less gung ho approach of Joe Biden that actually suits his um, the American economy's future under him it's slightly better. Um, as I've spoken about, Donald Trump's been a rather he's been an advocate for deregulation. Uh, this has seen sort of irresponsible growth with many businesses kind of uh, ignoring an element of uh, environmental focus. Um, the underlying dynamism of businesses has kind of been muted. Um, but Biden, I think, as, a, as an administrator, he believes in institutions, um, sort of seems a more of a process orientated um, candidate. I think he'll move away from the kind of the reckless deregulation that Trump moves towards. And, and picking up on also another major problem, I think, whilst you can achieve economic growth, um, if that economic growth comes with inequalities, which I think Mr. Trump's growth has come with, then that kind of a growth isn't um, a, a desirable one for a country. Um, for, for, for instance, with Mr. Trump's, uh, sorry, but Biden could alleviate that. Um, as Peace mentioned, taxing the wealthy, but also his desire to kind of increase immigration. Um, immigration in the past has meant more inequalities because poorer workers from other countries have had to sort of be burdened with lower incomes. But now with um, a move with taxing of richer figures and a kind of a moving away from the trickle down economics model, um, now we could see um, actually less inequality being in place um, and, and, and also with uh, Biden's want to kind of I guess be more of a partisan for fixing the um, racial equality divides at the moment which we've argued in the past in previous podcasts bleeds into economics and allows more economic divides to come into play so I think his want to reduce inequalities is his sort of plans to reduce inequalities um, in economics shows Biden's uh, economic plans to be potentially um, sort of what America needs at this time. We, all I can say is we'll find out soon. And with, uh, with the, the final question, with the economy under Biden, I'd just like to say, uh, I'd just like to say, I, I totally agree with Peter that it's, I don't think it's going to be all doom and gloom under a Democrat government as Trump is making out it's going to be. It'd be an, it's going to be, a, I think it's going to be a welcome change if, uh, assuming he does win, compared to what we've seen 
as Scarra said, the gun ho attitude that Trump has. So I'm 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 here. I'm embracing the change that's going to happen under Biden. But you never know. And I'm gonna I'm gonna say that it still could change. And we 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 can't always trust the polls. But I think this time it's pretty sure that the polls have changed. And there's such a big lead that I can't see Trump winning. But I'm, I'm sure I could be. My mind can be changed uh, when he does. But that's all we have time for today. Uh, I'd like to thank Peter for coming on. Um, if you would like to be a guest on the podcast, please fill out the form on the website. And also thank you to my co-host, Arush. Thanks for listening. We will be back next week with our post-election analysis. So stay tuned.